This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Eternal Consequences of the Russian Attack on Ukraine No event since World War II has so dominated the attention of the world than Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Supposedly, learned commentators on television as well as newspaper and magazines use terms like catastrophe, unprecedented, and genocide to impress listeners and readers with the importance of these events. However, there is a supernatural element that the pundits do not mention. The most likely reason is that the powers behind the media do not believe in anything that they cannot see or touch. This materialistic attitude prevents many from seeing the true significance of the battle over the Ukraine. This refusal is especially short-sighted in that material goals play virtually no role in the conflict. Mr. Putin talks of a sort of historic destiny that Russia should rule Ukraine, as it did for centuries before the Soviet Union imploded in 1991. Mr. Zelensky appeals to patriotism and courage in tones that remind many of Winston Churchill in 1940 and 1941. Today, the Return to Order moment looks at the supernatural aspects and possible consequences of the invasion. We begin with an essay in which Mr. John Horvat examines the extent to which Russian history conforms to the message given by Our Lady of Fatima in 1917, as the Soviet Union was beginning the spread of its errors around the world. His essay is titled, Are the Russians on Board with the Fatima Message? The war in the Ukraine has catapulted the Fatima message into the center of discussions. The Mother of God's mysterious 1917 references to Russia and its errors are the backdrop to the death toll and destruction in Ukraine. Quote, If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, and several nations will be annihilated." Unquote. Our Lady also spoke of Russia's eventual conversion after the nation's consecration to her Immaculate Heart. Many have rightly claimed that the errors of Russia were those of communism. Russia did indeed spread them throughout the world from 1917 onward. Starting with the 1991 collapse of the Soviet Union, however, an erroneous view began to circulate among Catholics in the West that this was the conversion of Russia foreseen by Our Lady. The conversion narrative wanes stronger under Vladimir Putin. The conversion narrative refers to the fall of communism and the subsequent attempts to reestablish some semblance of order in the land parched by seven decades of atheist rule. Some see the post-Cold War increase in religious profession, but not practice, as a kind of conversion in progress. Some Catholics are only too ready to shoehorn these efforts into the Fatima message. No matter how small, they interpret any gesture as part of the conversion process. Moreover, they are happy to see the Russian Orthodox, not the Catholic Church, as God's instrument in this conversion, as if it makes no difference. All these points are the object of discussion among those in the West who support what might be called Fatima's Russian conversion narrative. The discussion often includes a counter-narrative, 
which states that the decadent and morally corrupt Western nations also need conversion, perhaps more so than Russia. The problem with the Russian conversion narrative is that it must take place inside the Fatima message. The events must correspond with reality if the narrative is to be believed. There is no room for variations using distorted facts. Any situation can be adopted to a narrative as long as it resembles the general plot. However, a narrative can only be stretched so far. When key elements don't fit, the whole structure fails. That is the case with the Russian conversion narrative. It stretches things too far, and the facts don't match the script. The conversion-in-progress Russia seems just as prone to decadence as other European countries. A survey of Eastern European nations, for example, show that Catholics are much more likely than Russia's Orthodox to attend weekly services, 42% in Poland versus 7% in Russia, fast during holy times, 72% in Croatia versus 27% in Russia, or engage in daily prayer, 44% in Croatia versus 18% in Russia. The United Nations data reveals that Russia has the highest per capita abortion rate in the world, almost triple the American rate. Russia continues to have one of the highest levels of alcohol consumption in the world. Other indicators, like suicide rates and prostitution levels, are also extremely high. However, the fact that works most against the conversion narrative is that most Russians identify with the Russian Orthodox Church, not the Roman Catholic Church. They reject the Fatima narrative because it is Catholic. The Russian conversion narrative stumbles over the fact that Russians do not want to be converted by Fatima. That is not to say that Russians do not desire to be free from the Soviet yoke. It only means that Russians do not see this liberation coming from Our Lady of Fatima. They tragically do not frame the changes happening in Russia as part of a universal triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The Russian conversion narrative runs into more trouble. Russian Orthodox officials tend to see the Fatima apparitions as a Catholic fabrication to encroach on what they claim is exclusively Orthodox canonical territory and areas of influence. Seen in the light of the Great Schism of 1054, when the Eastern Church left Rome, the Fatima message is rejected. The Orthodox have long persecuted Catholics in Russia and inhibited the practice of the true faith. Instead of embracing the Fatima message as a heaven-sent aid to encourage Russians in this time of great spiritual need, the Russian Orthodox Church looks upon it with resentment. It claims Russia does not need conversion, since it has been Christian for over a thousand years. They argue that there is no need for consecration, since the Russian people already recognized Our Lady as the Mother of God, the Theotokos. In short, the Russian Orthodox Church excludes itself from the Fatima message because its officials do not believe it comes from heaven.
Thus, there is a great ominous silence about Fatima over the vast expanses of Russia. Russian church and civil officials do not call upon this most powerful supernatural ally who has promised them deliverance from modern evils. As a result, Russia has not converted and languishes in the moral corruption and sin that dominate the world. Neither has the West converted. It also failed to heed the Fatima message when it stood to gain so much from it. Had the Fatima message not been rejected, Our Lady's universal call for prayer, penance, and amendment of life would have resulted in wonders that would have transformed the world. The Fatima message is still timely. However, for it to make sense, one must take a truly balanced position by admitting that both the East and the West have not heeded the Fatima message. The whole world needs conversion as error still dominates everywhere. Both East and West have adopted an anything-but-Fatima position by which they embrace a sinful and modern world. Because Our Lady's message was not heeded, both East and West are headed into an unprecedented chastisement in the history of the world. This is not the time to be pointing fingers at each other, but beating chests in repentance. Now more than ever, the world needs Fatima. It needs repentance. Its only surviving hope is Mary. For many in the West, the most baffling questions about the war in the Ukraine are the reasons that it is happening. Why did Putin attack? Why are the Ukrainians defending their country when it is their homes that are being destroyed? To answer these and so many other questions, we need to look at the conditions that are necessary for a war to be considered just. Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo does this in his essay, Natural Law and Catholic Morals Do Not Justify Russia's Invasion of Ukraine. As of this writing, Putin's troops are in the suburbs of Ukraine's capital, Kiev, after invading that country by land, sea, and air. Here we will consider just one aspect of the conflict. Is this a just war or not? In other words, did ex-KGB Colonel Vladimir Putin have the right to invade Ukraine? To analyze the issue properly, we must recall some principles of natural law and Catholic doctrine on just war. First. Let us review the invalid reasons for starting a war. Salamanca doctor Father Francisco de Vitoria, O.P., 1492-1546, is considered the founder of international law. He summarizes the reasons that are always unjustifiable to start a war. First, a difference of religion cannot be the cause of just war. Second, enlargement of an empire cannot be the cause of just war. Third, the personal glory or convenience of the prince is not a cause of just war. For Vittoria, one situation alone justifies the starting of a war. Fourth, the sole and only cause for waging war is when harm 
has been inflicted. Lastly, he cautions against self-serving interpretations of a situation's facts and circumstances. Fifth, not every or any injury gives sufficient grounds for waging war. In addition to having valid reasons for starting a war, certain conditions must be fulfilled for a war to be just or legitimate. St. Thomas Aquinas summarizes them as follows. 1. It must be declared by legitimate authority. St. Paul says, He, the authority, bears not the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. See Romans chapter 13, verse 4. 2. The cause must be just. St. Thomas quotes St. Augustine. A just war is wont to be described as one that avenges wrong, when a nation or state has to be punished for refusing to make amends for the wrongs inflicted by its subjects or to restore what it has seized unjustly. Third, it must be waged with good intention. Again, from St. Thomas Aquinas. For it may happen that the war is declared by the legitimate authority and for a just cause, and yet be rendered unlawful through a wicked intention. Hence, Augustine says, The passion for inflicting harm, the cruel thirst for vengeance, an unpacific and relentless spirit, the fever of revolt, the lust of power, and things like these, all these are rightly condemned in war, unquote. Theologians also highlight the principle of proportionality. Besides a just cause, a summons by legal authority and a right intention, there must be proportion between the good to be recovered or preserved, the unjust situation to be remedied or prevented, and the evils that necessarily come in the wake of war, particularly the number of deaths. In addition, all peaceful means must be exhausted before having recourse to war. These theologians point out that the need for justification applies only to offensive war. The moral legitimacy of self-defense in the face of an attack is evident. Nations cannot stand idly by when they see a weaker nation attacked by a stronger one. They are obliged to aid the attacked nation against the aggressor. Indeed, due to the brotherhood that must exist among peoples, nations that can succor an unjustly attacked country must do so out of a duty of solidarity. In his famous 1948 Christmas radio message, after speaking about the right of the unjustly attacked country to defend itself, Pope Pius XII states, quote, The solidarity of nations is required in this defense. They have a duty not to leave the attacked people abandoned. The certainty that this duty will be fulfilled will serve to discourage the aggressor and therefore to avoid war, or at least in the worst-case scenario, to shorten the suffering. Unquote. The reasons alleged by the Russian autocrat to invade Ukraine do not pass muster. 
he failed to respect any natural law principles that justify the waging of war. For clarity, we will examine them. Putin's main argument for invading Ukraine is that country's desire to become a member of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. He claims this is a threat to Russia. This argument is fallacious because the North Atlantic Treaty is a mutual defense treaty. It was created in 1949 by European countries, the United States, and Canada precisely to protect Europe from Soviet expansionism. Its oft-quoted Article 5 states, The parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all. NATO membership could only present problems for Russia if it attacked Ukraine, as has now happened. In addition to this primary argument, Putin uses others that are completely irrational, as Paul Kirby commented in BBC News, quote, Many of President Putin's justifications for it were false or irrational. He claimed his goal was to protect people, the Ukrainians, subjected to bullying and genocide, and aim for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. There has been no genocide in the Ukraine. It is a vibrant democracy led by a president who is Jewish. Unquote. Kirby adds, quote, President Putin has frequently accused Ukraine of being taken over by extremists ever since its pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, was ousted in 2014 after months of protest against his rule. Unquote. Some Catholics and conservative-inspired websites attempt to justify the invasion of the Ukraine claiming that Putin is a quote-unquote defender of the family, while Western rulers who oppose the attack favor immorality and enact immoral laws. However, Putin, who spent his entire career in the fearsome KGB, does not hide his communist ideology. Speaking to some followers in 2016, he said that he still has his Communist Party card, and that, quote, I still really like communist and socialist ideas, unquote. For him, such ideas are, quote, like the Bible, unquote. One must recall that at Fatima, Our Lady warned against the errors of Russia, that is, communism. However, even if it were true that the former KGB colonel is an outspoken defender of family values, that would not give him the right to invade Ukraine nor turn this unprovoked attack into a just war. As moralists say, one evil does not become right or licit simply because a greater evil could be chosen. The admiration such circles have for Russia is unwarranted. Russia is as immoral as the West, if not more. It has the world's highest abortion rate. Prostitution is rampant, with some media reports claiming that it has more than 3 million prostitutes in a population of 144 million. Many argue the existence of a Western conspiracy to form a globalized society of nations, the Great Reset, and that this universal republic of sorts would be worse than the invasion of the Ukraine. Those making this argument do not realize that, 
Deep down, such globalists also have a socialist mentality and that a universal republic is essentially communist. Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira already denounced this in 1959 in his masterwork, Revolution and Counter-Revolution. There is no contradiction between Putin's post-communist, cosmist, and pan-Slavic nationalist goal of world domination and a globalist universal republic. Ultimately, both want the same thing. The end of Western Christian civilization and independent countries, which still have some remnant of the natural law and Christian values. The inescapable conclusion is that Russia's invasion, analyzed in the light of natural law, Catholic morality, and the facts, cannot be justified in terms of moral principles. Therefore, all Catholics and every person with the slightest sense of justice must utterly repudiate it. The war in Ukraine may be the beginning of a broader conflict, a world war. At Fatima, Our Lady warned that unless it converted, humanity would be punished. However, we see an astonishing increase in sin, even in public Satanism. Whatever may be the outcome of the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine, it is foolish to expect the salvation of the modern world to come from autocrats or political leaders. The solution to the terrible moral crisis in which humanity finds itself can only come from an authentic conversion of customs and a return to ardent faith and trust in God. Our Lady's promise at Fatima should encourage us. Finally, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. In our final essay for this episode, Mr. John Horvat examines Four points on why Russia invaded Ukraine. Just when everything seemed to be getting back to the new normal, abnormality struck again. The war in Ukraine is raging and changing the face of the globalized world. The situation is confusing as people struggle to find reasons behind the invasion. Conspiracy theories abound on both sides, like the scenes of battle in Ukraine Chaos reigns in the minds of so many. There seems to be no rhyme or reason in the attacks. However, four points can help people better understand what is happening. There is some method to the madness. The first point is that the sanctions prove that Russia was well integrated into the globalized world. Vast sectors of the Russian economy were interwoven into the worldwide networks and commodity markets. It was not easy to disengage. This conclusion runs contrary to those who say that Russia is a power opposing the current world order. This is not true. Western money and investment helped rebuild the country in the decades after the Cold War. Most major oil companies, for example, were involved in extracting oil from Russia. Multinational firms were everywhere. Russian banks and accounting firms helped integrate Russia into the financial system. Even the McDonald's franchise operated at hundreds of Russian locations. The sanctions proved the extent of Russian participation in the world economy. Unfortunately, 
Russia fully absorbed decadent, globalized culture in movies, concerts, and bad fashions. All these things harmed the nation as they harmed the West. The sanctions in this area also proved that, before the war, Russia was a fully integrated part of the world order. The second point is that Russia is pursuing a rapid disengagement from its important yet second-tier place in the current world order. President Putin used the one thing that could cause Western disinvestment quickly, an unjust war that would galvanize worldwide public opinion by its brutality. He knew that the West is terrified by the prospect of war and will use every economic sanction in the book to avoid conflict. Thus, as the war gets ever more intense, the economic sanctions levied against Russia become greater. The Russian president facilitated instant disengagement and let the West do it. In just weeks, he has managed to destroy the work of decades. The disengagement has the advantage that the Western firms are leaving Russia of their own accord with the approval and pressure of governments. They leave behind assets sold at fire sale prices or even abandoned. Everything will be in Russian hands or face nationalization. Thirdly, Russia made no secret of its alignment with China in the period leading up to the war. At the Winter Olympics, President Putin and Chinese leader Xi Jinping signed a joint statement signaling their desire to construct a new multipolar world order. They agreed to cooperate without limits to achieve this goal of ushering in, quote, international relations of a new type, unquote. The Russian president has long idealized a Eurasian Union that would form a single trading and cultural bloc independent of the West. The war in Ukraine is putting this non-secret plan into effect. It forces Russia to unite with China, which is the only power big enough to resist the pressure of Western sanctions against Russia. The burning of the economic bridges with the West makes China the only nation that can absorb the massive amounts of raw materials and grains that Russia produces. The two countries combined can scramble the post-Cold War economic and political order and create new tensions and shortages. Some speculate that the forced marriage between China and Russia will lead to a parallel financial system with the yuan as the reserve currency. The desired realignment will pit the decadent West against the post-communist East. Two distinct political blocs are forming, which will present the world with two false alternatives. Crumbling liberal democracy or autocratic national socialism. Finally, this move comes at a time of extreme vulnerability in the West. The two-year pandemic already unraveled many complex relationships and supply chain links that held the world together. Brutal restrictions and mandates have polarized populations and hinder governments' abilities to unite efforts and confront problems. Irresponsible government decisions and labor and supply problems are fueling high levels of inflation. 
The war will wreak havoc upon the West by scrambling further the already stressed production systems. The millions of refugees flooding into Europe add to the burdens already carried by the host countries, taking up resources that could be used to strengthen defense abilities in the West. In this scenario, the East holds advantages. East and West are so integrated that it will not be easy for the West to wean itself from Eastern, especially Chinese, products quickly. The natural gas pipelines are like nooses around the necks of Western countries, over-dependent on Russian fuel. Chinese goods so dominate the market that there are few alternatives. The Ukraine war and the economic sanctions also put the West in a precarious position. The East's autocratic regimes suffer much less from these problems than the fragmented Western societies. The East has much to gain and the West much to lose by this splitting up. There is a method to this madness. One final result of the Ukraine war will be this permanent division between East and West. It will signal the failure of the post-Cold War experiment that was supposed to signal the end of history. A major geopolitical realignment will take place that could have dramatic consequences and lead eventually to world war. This concludes The Eternal Consequences of the Russian Attack on Ukraine. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.